My name is Daniel Rinz. I grew up in East Germany. Um, the wall came down and I was uh, 12 years old. At the age of 18 and I um, bought a old BMW R80 GS. I took that bike on my adventure in 2008. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. And we are, we are part of to ride. We're not part, we're not part of, are we? Both. We are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so making fun of you guys. Let's do this again. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. And we are to ride the world you are listening to. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. And we are to, to ride, ride the, the world. world. And you, you are, are listening, listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Radio. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. And we got a good one coming up for you. We've got Daniel Rintz, as you heard, who's got a great movie out called Somewhere Else Tomorrow. We're going to talk to him about the movie and about his travels around the world. Stay with us. My name is Daniel Rintz. I'm a world traveler and a media designer. I specialize in motion pictures, so I... I do animation and uh, and films. Daniel, I, I looked at the film, which I thought was fantastic. By the way, it was a, it was very entertaining and, and a nice length too. It's, it's nice to get a, a film that really takes you in depth with the adventure. Now I'll be looking forward to see the the second part because really that's part one, isn't it? Yes, it was part one. Thanks for uh, for taking a look, and uh, I'm glad you liked it. Daniel, let's start at the beginning and talk about where you got the idea to do the trip and ultimately the film. Basically. The idea came up 2008 and I started to, uh, or I attempted to travel around the world on a motorcycle, um, but then I met the love of my life and um, because she couldn't jump onto the travel right away, we took a break and now we're on the road together on two bikes and this is the second part, yes. Now, almost ironically, you come from a country that, as a child, world travel was just something that was unheard of. I grew up in East Germany. Um, the wall came down, and I was uh, 12 years old. So I can really well remember what it was before, and I kind of am glad that I've experienced this completely different world. Um, but um, lots of my education was, uh, you know, uh, like... The system didn't teach you to think outside the box or to, to you know, it's was, it was all very uh, homogenous, I would say. So everybody was like the same. Once the wall came down, uh, everything changed and the people had a hard time making proper use of their freedom. And for me, I, gu I guess it resulted in uh, trying to quench my curiosity and just traveling lots of places, seeing what it was like, uh, because before I could only see my country and a couple of neighboring countries, which were very similar, and we weren't allowed to go anywhere. So that changed hugely. Sure. But your age group, I mean, you, you grew up at a time where you were just at the right age, really, for everything to explode and open up. So it had to be just a world of possibilities. You were in that wave, I assume. You were at the right age group to be some of the first people from East Germany to be sort of striking out and doing these crazy things. What was that like? Pretty interesting. I think the two years after the wall came down, it was like anarchy in East Germany. Because nobody really knew how to how to act or what would be appropriate. So I remember kids came kids my age came to school with stolen vehicles, um, and you know, or steal a bike and come to school not having a license, not owning the bike, putting the helmet on the on the desk, and just sitting there being snobby, don't listening to what the teachers have to say. It was like really strange time and then it kind of balanced out after a couple of years and and um people had a better sense of of where their place is 
mainly because even the uh, authorities didn't know the police. They didn't know what their rights were because, you know, uh, it's a completely different system. So we had to find a good balance. When did you get struck by the bug for travel? I would say at the age of 14, I was not allowed to to have a bike or to get the license. So I um, got myself a mountain bike and I did between 10 and 15,000 kilometers each year up until the age of uh, 18. Then I got my driver's license and having a car changed everything. I, I explored whole Europe. Uh, whenever I could, I went for a trip. And um, yeah, that changed my perspective a lot. Give us an overview of what this leg of the trip is that we're talking about here. So a buddy and I started in Europe and uh, we went uh, down to Spain and crossed over to North Africa, went through the Middle East, um, Asia, and then down Southeast Asia and Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand. And that's in New Zealand, it's where we, uh, where I decided to take a break and ride the Alaska-Argentina route later. My friend and I, we rode up to Turkey together and then he made his way up north back to Germany. So we circumnavigated the Mediterranean together and from that, from Turkey onwards, I, I was on my own. So you finished university, you came up with the idea of um, you were going to strike out on a around the world adventure. What made you, or, or perhaps I shouldn't even be asking this question, maybe it's just circumstance, but what made you decide to do it with the no money route? Well, um, the theme was two wheels, one world, zero money. And the zero money part is just pure pragmatism. We, um, and by we, I mean a buddy and I, we came up with the idea uh, during college. And as students, you can't save up money. So we we kind of thought, I mean, we had two options, right? We could just go and get a job and save up money is how most people do it. And it's very sensible, because, you know, but we kind of had enough of working on a computer, being in, you know, in offices and stuff. So we, we thought, let's just do something completely different for a while. And, and that's how the idea of making the money along the way came, came about. It's a, a pretty risque or um, at least maybe cocky thing to do to just all of a sudden say um, you're going to jump on your bike and uh, ride around the world with no money in your pocket. In hindsight, was it the right thing to do? Absolutely. I mean, it was cocky. I agree with you. And it was naive. And uh, it, it was a lot more difficult than we thought it would be, even though we weren't sure if we could actually do it. We had no idea. We were so naive. Um, but it was the right thing to do because it, it was the best way to travel because you are forced to go out of your comfort zone. You're forced to meet people. You're forced to connect with cultures, um, which you don't necessarily have to if you, if you have money. I've traveled before and I saved up and you know on smaller trips. Uh, and, and I found often that I would just stay in my car or van. And uh, if I'm like uh, afraid or frightened or if I'm not comfortable with the situation, I wouldn't uh, connect. I would just use my money to get out of it. And because we didn't have money on the last trip, that kind of forced us to make the experiences that really brought us further. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I've heard other travelers say similar things, maybe in different degrees, where they say that had they had more money, they could have just bought their way out of the situation, but because they didn't, and, and they've seen other people do that, but because of uh, their situation, having limited amount of money, they had to deal with it instead. And, and in the long run, it's a, a greater experience or a fuller experience because of it. So it, it certainly makes sense. I mean, I see that. And I think that, you know, I have to tell you, as far as my thought process and seeing you take off with no money, Money, there's something great about ignorance, isn't there? There's something great about not knowing everything to the fullest extent when you're heading out on something like this, because maybe you, um, without those fears, you you strike out and you do something different, something incredible, like what would you've you've done here? Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's two things that are great about being ignorant <laughs> in a good way, though. <laughs> uh, one thing is you don't know 
what's ahead of you so you face it. And the other thing is you have this very great sense of discovering the world for yourself instead of uh, going a path that other people have gone before, like reading guidebooks uh, and The Lonely Planet, and then you kind of have the same experience that everybody else has. And that didn't happen to us because we, we went our own way and we discovered our own places, met amazing people, and it's slightly different, and it's, it's very intriguing. That's a very good point. Now, so there's two schools of thought, I think, because some people will say by reading and researching, you'll make sure that you don't miss out on things. But I think there's other people that are of the same mindset that you almost take away from it. Because to you, it's a brand new experience. It doesn't matter if 100,000 people have been there before you. If you don't know anything about it and you go in bare, it's a brand new experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, in fact, when I read guidebooks and I read up about a place and I go there, the experience often is kind of because I build up expectations. It's kind of, you know, okay, it's interesting, but it's not like something that you come across by chance, something random. You know, it may be something way smaller than the Taj Mahal or the pyramids of uh, Egypt, right? It's something maybe even mundane, but because it's so unique and it's it's just you and you feel like it hasn't happened to anybody else before, it it is really uh, huge and 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 long lasting experience. Do you think that that's what's happening nowadays? That people are starting to lean towards the lesser visited places, maybe even the less spectacular. I mean, there's a lot of people out there traveling now and in, in all different ways, and a lot of people with blogs and they they photograph the 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 sites. I mean, we know the the pictures that we see from one blog to another, and you and you realize that oh, they went the same place that someone else did. Do you think there's a movement to find those lesser-known places to maybe break out and, and actually have a different adventure? I think it's it's a personal choice. I see both. Um, and I can see... I mean, let's... You know, if you look at the internet and blogs and, and everything and media, everything has been photographed and documented. I mean, there's barely anything left or nothing at all, really, uh, which can be discovered for the first time. You know, we like a couple centuries too late for that. Um, but there's, I see like some people who go out and travel and they do it like for the first time or they're not really comfortable with kind of that adventure traveling, they read up. And I did that also. It's, you know, you want to be prepared. That makes sense. But once you've gotten comfortable with traveling and you've been on the road for a long, long time, I think you want to be you want to be surprised. You want to learn something by uh, by experiencing it instead of reading about it and then going there. So I I, I can see both. You chose the R80GS. Um, I'm sort of curious why that bike. Now I know you said you bought it many many years before, and you've been riding it for I think you said 15 years. That's a, a long time to ride a bike. Many people would just rush out and buy a different bike. Why just stick with the R80? Uh, a couple of reasons. One is, you know, we started without any money, and that's really what happened. We didn't have any, so we couldn't even think about buying another bike. Um, so I just took the one I had. And the other thing is, uh, luckily, 15 years ago, um, from now, it's probably 20, I chose the right bike. It's it's a fairly simple and, and very reliable bike. So it kind of worked out. It It is quite a good adventure bike for what we did so lucky are you still riding it now no i uh i updated uh for this second uh leg of the trip i'm riding a 1200 gs now you had uh i guess a lifelong dream to ride in the sand and you achieved that very early on in the trip talk about that for a minute riding on sand is something that is not easy to come by in uh europe there's uh there may be a couple of quarries that you can maybe do that on. But, um, yeah, I never got a chance. And uh, once we got to Egypt, I thought I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to try this, even though my bike was kind of heavy for this for this task. Um, but I got some uh, very knobby tires sent in from, from Germany, and I put them on, and um, I... I grouped up with a couple of um, Egyptian friends that we made along the way, and we got to ride sand dunes. And 
it's hard to describe the experience because it's it's so different. I really had a good time, and uh, I had to learn how to ride the bike all over again because sand is nothing like I've ever experienced. Like it's very different from snow and mud and on gr- grass. It's it's just it's fun. It's just really really a lot of fun. You lost your riding partner. He said that he would, uh, and it's Lars, uh, he said that he would envy you, envy, sorry, what you will see, but not necessarily your method of travel. What was it that made him see the trip in a different way than you saw it? There's a couple of things. Um, that The first very important part is that Lars had never been outside Europe before. Um, he's never been on a on an adventure trip, um, so so it was very stressful for him at, in the beginning, dealing with the huge bike and the amount of luggage, and uh, going off road, uh, camping a lot of times. So so that was that already took it out of him. And then in, in addition to this, we had this. Um, we had no security. We had no idea where we would find jobs along the way and how long it'll be till the next job and how we would pay for fuel, accommodation, food, and, and these these things. So that, that kind of weighs really heavy on the traveler, and it did on me. But for him, it was like there was also a girl that he met um, before the trip, before we went, but after we've made the decision to go. So right in that in that time and um it, it, the the connection they had didn't gave him the freedom to to really experience where we were because he was always thinking about what it would be like to be home to be with her and uh so they were on Skype a lot of times and that that kind of keeps your your attention away from from the, the places you're you're discovering and that's that's a stretch that you can't really uh, do for too long. You left with really very little money, I understand. And you're working, every time you run out of money, you're trying to find work and make a little more money and travel a little bit further when you go. But there is two of you, and that's, that's a certain picture or a certain feeling that you get of a little bit of security of having someone that you can turn to at the end of the day. Lars leaves you at this point. And you're on your own, but he, it doesn't seem to phase you. You're determined to head off on your adventure. What was that like, that departure and that change from having the two of you to one? Well, um, I didn't see the moment coming, but when it all happened and, and Lars and I concluded that there's no way that it can go on like this and he was to go home, I didn't even ask myself, or consider going home with him. I just knew that I was in the middle of an adventure and there was no way that I would abandon it just yet because I was really having a a great time. The downside was that I was hoping to have a travel partner for the upcoming regions along the route, East Turkey, Iran, Pakistan. It was kind of tricky. It was it was these regions that I was worried about most throughout the whole round-the-world trip. Um, I think at the time there were the uh, elections going on in Iran, and uh, the people were kind of they weren't unhappy with the outcome, and they were demonstrating, and it was uh, it was pretty tricky. There were the internet was was switched off; they couldn't you couldn't research anything. Uh, the government was really rigorous. They sent police and uh, military forces to uh, fight back the demonstrations. Um, and also Pakistan at the time in 2009, there was there was a lot of uh, tumult going on and suicide bombings and kidnappings. So that that was something I was really, really worried about, especially being on my own. Um, but the experience um, was a completely different one. I was mainly educated by what the media told me about these places, and when I experienced them uh, on, you know, on the ground by myself, it was it was just the best experience I could have. The people are amazing. 
what have you learned about the people of the world? And I, I know you sort of answered it there, but I get the feeling that you had this major shift from when you started till now of how you viewed the people of the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have a very com- a completely different view on life and, and on the world now, uh, which is, I think, in hindsight, really was was the, the lecture or was was what this trip was about to to face my fears and to to just um how do i put this you wanted to to face your fears in life you mean well in life i guess yeah in general really general yeah and now that you face them are they gone or do you just keep going with more well there's a lot less fear now for sure um, it's it's basically the unknown, right? That's the most that's the biggest fear for mo- for most people. If you don't know, and you, you you know, there's there's so many things that could happen, and you try to prepare for them all, but then, you know, it's completely different when you're in it. You break down in Pakistan and end up um, loading your bike onto a bus and then a train, eventually making it to Islamabad. In the movie. You look like you force a smile and you appear stressed at the point where you say you've arrived in Islamabad and you feel like you can get your motorcycle fixed. Tell us about that. Um, Arriving in Islamabad with the broken bike was by far the lowest point in the whole trip. Uh, That's just basically when everything came together, I I just realized, okay, there's, there's probably no way that I can fix the bike. I don't want to be here. I felt it was dangerous and I had no, basically almost, almost no money left. I'm not sure how much it was. must've been a two digit number, really a little money. And, and also I didn't have to, my travel partner to, you know, kind of help work this out. And I didn't know then, but I know now that this was necessary for me to go through in order to to get a good uh, to be shaken out of my world to have a, a real look to open my eyes and look around me so I'm really grateful for this breakdown because it forced me to to deal with one of the places that I was afraid most uh, so um, what happened there is I f- I did find a way to fix the bike first of all but more importantly, while I was looking for help uh, wandering through the city, I came through a slum several times a day because it was between where I stayed and, and downtown. And uh, eventually I was uh, talked to by a guy called David and um, we we became friends and he invited me over to his place, which was like, uh, it was like a garage with no, no roof, just four brick walls and his whole family lived there uh some some i think it was two sons and three daughters and his wife and it turned out they were all christian and uh the whole slum was christian and the reason why they lived there is because you know it is an islamic world in pakistan and and uh, they have a really tough time uh, he told me about people coming over with bulldozers and destroying everything they've built up there. And uh, it was really horrible, uh, the stories that he told me. I don't want to even get into it too much. But um, because he was so desperate uh, with his situation that he asked me to marry one of his daughters so he can make it or he and his family can make it to a refugee camp somewhere in Europe. So that, that was the moment when I realized that this journey isn't just about me and, and writing and um, experiencing like the world through a traveler. I, I was so immersed in that world that I, that I realized I'm, I'm privileged. I'm holding the German passport. I can get out of there anytime, but they can't. So, so I kind of met them on on the same level because I didn't have a lot of money, but I could easily have asked my parents to buy me out of the situation. So that's a big difference, like a, like a uh, safety net that they don't have. And, um, and from that moment on, I, uh, I approached my journey from a very different angle. I knew it was, it was about 
learning as much as I can about how other places, how other cultures work. How do you mean you, you took a different approach? Um, what changed? Well, it wasn't about having fun anymore. It was about really having a look and really connecting with people. And don't worry about having, you know, don't worry about my fears. Just I was vulnerable because there's just one guy on a bike uh, far away from home. But I got the sense that if I continued the way I traveled with, you know, trying to control everything, you know, scheduling everything and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make it. I, I, I realized I had to go with the flow and, and really literally like just let things happen, let things unfold in front of me and just just aim for my my general goal to make it around the world. And that realization uh, changed the way I traveled. I, I traveled slower. I, I um, met more people. I, uh, people uh, I, I learned more. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. So does this mean immersing yourself more in, in local people's lives? Is that part of it? That's the biggest part of it, yes. How do you do that? Well, I found that if you're open to it, I as a Westerner on this on this huge bike, I'm really conspicuous. I I stand out, and people people are curious, and uh, people see me as as their messenger. You know, I mean, we have Facebook and the internet and and email and and the media and newspapers and television and everything, and that's where we get our uh, information from. But a traveler immersed in a in a foreign culture people will just take this over any other information they will they want to talk to you and find out what where you came from and and what your story is that's more intriguing to them it's more real and once i saw that and once i offered what i had to say to people that created um a whole level of of sharing stories which which then led to more encounters because people would prefer me and say, oh, if you go this way, you can meet my cousin, friend, whatever, family. Is there a difference between what the media portrays and what you find on the ground when you're out there? Well, my personal experience is that there's a huge difference. What the media says is mostly spot on or it is is close to the truth. You know, there is terrorism in Pakistan, there is suicide bombings, there is kidnappings. It all happens. I, I saw that. I had I have uh, witnessed, witnessed it. But what the, the media conveys is only a very small portion. And it's it's not the whole truth. It's not everything. And it's very easy to, to forget about this. And when you travel, well, I haven't met a single bad person on my journey in the last three years. Everybody I met was really helpful, friendly, and hospitable. So you really have to look for, for bad places in the world. And the media does that. They go to hotspots and they look for the worst because it's sensationalism. Um, that's what, why they sell their stuff. And as a traveler, you avoid these, these places. And it's really easy to avoid them because there's not so many. And uh, I saw a lot of the, the great stuff and, and the fantastic stuff. It's really human nature, isn't it, that we focus on the abnormal or, you know, things that are rare. You know, if you, if you look at um, seagulls, for instance, at least here in North America, seagulls are very common. They're a beautiful bird, but because they're so common, they tend to be regarded as, as something less than desirable. And so we focus on or we, we search out those nuggets of difference. And the media may be doing just that then by looking for the spots on the apple rather than looking at the rest of the apple. Is that fair? That's fair to say, for sure. Once I got my bike fixed, I decided to stay a little longer in Pakistan because up until that point, I really was per persuaded that this isn't as bad as it sounded first. It was a really great country with great people. So I rode up the Karakum Highway up to the Chinese border and down again and then crossed into India. And it was rainy season or just about to 
get rainy season, so I was really hot and unbearable. So I so I went north into the Ladakh area, which is uh, the Indian part of the Himalayas. It's it's on higher altitude, and it's much cooler, and it's a wonderful place. It's it's not very populated, and uh, it's fantastic riding. It's I think I would say it is the best riding I've done in the whole world. Uh, going up over these passes and India claims there's one of the highest motorable passes in the world. It's uh, 17,000 and a bit feet high and um, it, it's just really a wonderful scenic landscape up there. You're still on the journey now um, and you don't really have a timeline for it, do you? Not really, no. How long do you think you're going to ride for? Well, if we go with the seasons, like, you know, we went up to Alaska in the summer where it's, you know, not as uh, icy and cold. Um, and we're now here in um, Portland, which it's it's getting rainy. So we have to make our way south soon. And if we, if we stick to this rhythm to be, uh, you know, in the hot places in the winter and in the cold places in the summer, then we should make it to uh, Ushuaia in Argentina by the beginning of 2016. It's interesting because most times when you talk with someone about their adventure and how long they can hold out for, etc., it always has to do with money. It always has to do with, well, I can hold out as long as my money holds out or as long as my purse is, you know, still has something in it. But in your case, you've developed something incredibly different. You're making money on the road and you're surviving that way. So really, you don't have anything that's drawing you back home at this point, do you? No, no, not really. I mean, my girlfriend and I, we 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 really want to have a family sometime, and uh, that's the only thing that kind of tells us, you know, don't get too old. The, the biological clock is ticking, and uh, you know, when you want to have kids, you you should be stationary for at least the first year until there's a helmet that is small enough for. To, the kids had to fit so <laughs> <laughs> that's not what i was expecting to hear <laughs> oh, that's good <laughs> do you think the ability to finance your trip while on the road is due to the nature of your work in other words do you think you could have done this trip if you didn't have computer skills if you were you know a carpenter or something like that you know what i think uh if you have a handy trade you're welcome anywhere in the world and help and and, and 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 earn some money. I think it it helps to have the skill I have to be able to work on a computer because in many places in the world the cost of living is lower than it is in the western world so I can sometimes make uh, money in Germany and, and spend it say in Southeast Asia which is which is great. But I would argue that anyone with any profession could go this way the way we go. Um, it would maybe be slower or faster in certain places in the world where there's more or less demand for it. But it's certainly not something, the, the kind of profession you do, it's, it's not something that should keep you from trying it. Um, it's definitely possible. The film you made is called Somewhere Else Tomorrow, and uh, I know it's available on your website, which is um, open-explorers.com. In making this film, it's great. I mean, you've got great angles there. You've you've done a you've got amazing scenery, and and for that alone, it's worth seeing. Let alone the story. You're filming this by yourself. What are you using for equipment, and how are you managing to to do this? Well, um, what I use is a uh, HD SLR camera, which has photo and great video capabilities. And uh, when I started in 2008, there was uh, not even the GoPro camera around, so I started with something uh, less capable. But I was one of the first to get my hands onto the uh, Canon 5D Mark II camera, and that's probably 90% of the footage is from from that camera in the in the movie. And uh, as far as documenting goes, uh, I was pretty easy. I I just captured what I what I liked, and sometimes just handed the camera to to people around me and told them, you know, I'm just going to do my thing. You, you hold the camera and just, you know, or I put it on, on a tripod and, and then let things unfold in front of it. So there's many different ways to, to document it. 
And has the website and the attention that you're getting for your film, has that changed the way you're making a living or are you still doing the same thing? Well, it has affected it a little bit, I got to say. Um, I'm invited to uh, do presentations and speeches uh, at certain times a lot more. Um, so that also helps a little bit with the financing of the trip. But in general, I don't let these kind of things dictate the the journey. Uh, we kind of look at the map and say, we want to do this, we want to go there, we want to meet this person. And then we do it. And if if something comes up that works with this, we, we jump on it. And if it doesn't work, then uh, that's okay. As you're going through and planning your trip or planning different legs of your trip and deciding what you want to see, are you connecting through websites like Horizons Unlimited or ADV Rider? We use these websites, uh, yes. Um, we would like to, you know, talk more about our um, our travels and our experiences, and blog more, and write more, and share more photos and stuff. But because we kind of work and travel and plan, we ha- we have so many jobs at the same time. You know, uh, as you said earlier, uh, our our own blog is a little bit behind, also. So it's. It's a lot of stuff we, we, we want to do, and we sometimes don't get to do them all. I was talking not long ago with Simon and Lisa Thomas, who are world travelers as well on their motorcycle, and I think they've been on the road for 14 years or something like that. And we were talking about how the internet, or, or at least the, um, the responsibility of blogging affects your trip, even photography for that matter, for you filming. Do you feel that? I do a little bit. Um, I would say it's easier for Lisa and Simon to do this kind of thing because they've been doing that for much longer. Uh, I've met them in Laos in 2011, and I think I'm going to run into them again uh, later this year on the way south. But, um, you know, as I said before, because we have so much stuff to do, and I like to keep it diversified. So if if I was to use the Internet and the communication possibilities that we have to to earn money for the trip it would be like all about the journey and we like to travel and also do something different so we enjoy like the occasional job that is really disconnected completely disconnected from from travel photography or videos Uh, for example um, we worked on um uh, in construction in uh, Calgary a couple of months ago, which was sorting screws and uh, making lists of inventory and, you know, dragging stuff from A to B, like physical labor. And that's, you know, it's, it's fun, you know, it's, it mixes us up and we, we like that. When you say we, you're traveling with um, a girl that you met. Can you tell us about that? Well, I met Joey in, um, in uh, Southeast Asia, in Bangkok, uh, on my first trip, and uh, we uh, we were like, it was really perfect. We traveled three and a half months uh, together on one bike. We were like twenty four seven all this time, and it was just so fantastic that we decided to uh, that we have to do some more. And uh, ever since, she tried to find ways to. Um, to come see me so she came down to australia and and then in new zealand finally i i decided well you know we need to find a way to travel together and so i took a break i came back to germany worked on the movie finished it and and she you know tied up loose ends and and now off we are together on two bikes and uh it's been it's been much better than i could ever hope for it's really fantastic we're a good team now, she didn't ride before she met you. She's got her, her motorcycle license and, and motorcycle. And, uh, and you said you're riding on two bikes now. What is she riding? She's riding a R80GS. Um, so we bought that bike before I knew I would update to a newer bike. So we would have the same. Um, but just before we started the trip, uh, there were a couple of factors that kind of nudged me over to to updates i bought a seven-year-old uh, 1200 gs uh, which has been fantastic and we kind of spent the last money on that that we saved so uh, the, the the theme 
210, two wheels, one world, zero money is true for this trip again. <laughs> so, so it all works out. Good. Now, that's a, that is a unique reason to spend money on a new motorcycle. That's fantastic. I really like that. Yeah. You've got a good way of twisting things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what I use as an excuse. Uh, when, when Joey says, why did you have to buy this bike? <laughs> she was well, actually backing me up. Well, the, well, the neat thing is, is you've got the R80GS and you've got the R1200GS. I mean, it's the same bike, really. It's just spanned many years in between. Well, just 30 years of technology uh, <laughs> development in, in between. But now we can, uh, we can, we have it on our block. We kind of keep track of what happens to each bike and uh, because there's a huge dispute um, on what is a good bike to take, you know, a simple older one with, with less electronics or a newer bike that is less likely to break. So now you can, you, we can find out for ourselves or for other people to, to see what works better. I noticed your panniers that you made for the front. I thought that was rather ingenious. Is that metalwork something that you've, you've studied in the past? Because they were pretty nice. Oh, yeah, thanks. No, I, I just tried this for the first time. I just took the bike and I envisioned what they should be like. So I used cardboard to first get the shape right. And then I used the cardboard as a template for the aluminum uh, sheets and I riveted together and there we were with the front panniers. The way you've outfitted your bike, is it the same way you did your first R80 or have you sort of went to real high-tech stuff? Well, um, some of the old equipment I had, like the panniers, I gave to Joey so we fit that stuff on her GS and for my bike, I left it with TourTech for one or two months and they really had to go at it and um, so they put all their their great, fantastic gear on it. Now I'm getting to try all this equipment out, and uh, it's been fantastic so far. The the whole uh, pannier system, the the suspension, and everything, it's been very helpful. What was it like to go from the R80 to the R1200? Oh, you know, it's like two universes. It's it's you can't even compare. It's like going from from a kids tricycles to a high-tech ufo or something <laughs> it's it, I, it's just different worlds it, it the the brakes are just you just have to look at them and they do their job the the power is amazing and uh, it just handles really well so yeah I, no way to do to compare it you are filming still and you're going to make a second film i assume yes uh, we had a we had a cinema run in Germany, and I went through uh, quite a few cinemas, and, and everywhere I went, we had a Q&A afterwards, and there were so many people asking me, are you going to make another one? Are you going to make another one? And also people that sent me emails and uh, and talked to me on, on the web, they really say, you know, you, you definitely should. And uh, we've taken camera and everything on this trip, and we have been documenting everything so far and uh but really you know north america has been fantastic really great and the people are really helpful and but it's so close to to what we know it's very close the culture is very close to to germany europe so the actual story will only really start in Central and South America, that's when it becomes really, really interesting with the people and maybe, you know, places where we can help and uh, make good connections. So depending on how things work out for the South, I think there's going to be uh, another movie. Uh, I think content-wise, I, I have a good feeling. I think it, it'll make a good story. That's really when you get more out of your element, isn't it? When you get away from Canada and the United States. Yeah, that's when it, when there's more challenges. Uh, you have to adapt more. And yes, that's when things really uh, become really interesting. You just mentioned helping. Has that become a part of what you're doing right now? Well, we feel compelled to help. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of people writing for a cause and and uh, or for charity and and connected this way um i don't really know how this works and how this how 
does that make sense? And we didn't do that. We kind of we kind of act upon the situation and the people we meet along the way. And what happened on my first trip, for example, I uh, was stationary in Kathmandu, Nepal, for a long, long time, and I came across this orphanage, um, and I learned about their problems, and uh, so. I started to help there. I helped them like with their with their buildings and and painting and uh, the walls and stuff. And also, I raised some money for them uh, through the uh, fan base and the crowd that I had. And that was a fantastic experience. So when something like this comes up, we will definitely jump on it and help. Um, I don't really see myself connecting with a with a big charity organization and and channel. Uh, funds through that we we are more like on the ground and you know if something feels real we will do something about it um that's that's how we we feel is the best way to go it feels it feels more real you know and we can see the reactions uh in the people as we offer them help and as we maybe be able to give them to give them funds and and see what they do with it that's really fantastic. That's, an, that's a great experience for us, for them, and for the people who help us make it happen, rather than just putting money into a pot and then some organization does something with it, which is, you know, equally important, but it's, it's not an experience for us. I have to ask you, Daniel, do you think that people in these countries that you go to, these poor people who couldn't possibly even hope to have what you and I would have in a lifetime, do you think that they look at you any different on your R1200GS compared to R80? Well, I can somewhat relate to that when I think back to when I was a kid uh, growing up in East Germany. We had sometimes people from the West come over visit and uh, I remember standing there as a kid and they had I don't know what car it was maybe a Honda or something but the the headlights they would come out of the uh, the hood and they would go down like like sleepy eyes mm-hmm. and that was kind of that was technology that I was so stunned about and I couldn't even grasp that and it's just so like amazing for me and I can I can see how this could happen if we ride through Bolivia for example, where my whole bike could feed the whole village for a year, for example, right? Mm-hmm. This is something I'm really aware of, and uh, and this is you know this is how the world is. It it is it's very diversified, and and as a traveler, I feel my job is to uh, to level the playing field, to bring the information and the knowledge that I have to them, help them, and uh, get to learn how what their uh, take on life is, and bring that back and and show show it through the movie to the people living in the Western world, and maybe having a reaction to that, and and also want to help. So th- this is, yeah, I mean, the, the bike, yes, it is an expensive piece of equipment and I'm riding it through poor countries, but, you know, it's it's a tool. It's what I use to do my work. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, I'm aware of it. How do you define adventure and is adversity required for it? Oh, and time for that matter. Well, it's funny that you asked this. I, I was talking to uh, a guy we met in, in Canada the other day, and he says he's really pissed off that everything in the bike world is now adventure. Everything that needs to sell, it's like adventure, adventure, adventure. And uh, my take is an adventure is what you what you make of it. it. It is not dependent on the gear or the bike or anything. It is what you have available. Like if you have four weeks of time to travel or or you have a small budget or you have a big budget it's what you make of it so i think adventure is as soon as you go out of your comfort zone and try something new i think it's an adventure already daniel listeners will want to find your movie find out more about you and how do they do that well definitely on the website um uh, just email me if you have any questions i'm always happy to uh to share what i learned and you know pass on information or connect people you know that's what what we what we happen to do along our trip uh especially the last couple of weeks we were coming through towns and we we were approached by people and then we met them and then we found out that they know other people it's it's you know how 
they say the world is uh, connected by six degrees of separation. And I find like that for us, it is not even true. It's it's much less. <laughs> we were talking to to this one guy who tells us about, oh, I, you know, I like what you guys doing. You just travel around the world. You know, I have friends who who do the same, and they just came back the other day, and uh, they're and and he talks about them, and and we're like, yeah, is their name such and such? And they're like, yes. <laughs> and uh, so you know, we it's a really small world to, to be honest the more you travel the smaller it becomes and uh oftentimes we connect local people so we say oh we met this guy you should meet this guy you would perfectly you know uh you have the same interests you would would be perfect so and they meet and they have a ball so it's it's fantastic well daniel thank you very much for coming on adventure rider radio and talking with us uh, about your film and hopefully uh people will rush over to your website which is open-explorers.com and uh, and pick up your film thank you jim it was a great time thanks for having me i've been speaking with daniel rintz from open-explorers.com where you can go and check out his movie he's got a trailer there on his website uh, to see the movie and you can also uh, click on it and buy it it's only i think two dollars and 99 cents you can't go wrong it's definitely worthwhile seeing we're also going to have daniel's information in our show notes Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Hey, you want to do Adventure Rider Radio a favor? Head over to iTunes and give us a rating. Or drop by our website, send us a note, just say hello, a comment about the website, anything at all. All feedback is great. Go by our Facebook page, make sure you like us on Facebook, and, well, whatever else you do on Facebook. Oh, yeah, and you know, I didn't mention before, we also have a Twitter handle. It's ADV Rider Radio on Twitter, so follow us on Twitter. Hey, we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. I'm Jim Martin for Adventure Rider Radio, and it's brought to you by Canoe West Media. Dave Barr, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. <laughs> <laughs>